Are you at Kenny Rogers now? Or no, that's your... No, (laughs) no, no, no. It's just my display name. It's still at Ken State Bar, but... Is Rogers your middle name? Sorry, I don't even know. No, you don't know who Kenny Rogers is? The gambler? No. What? I'm I'm a deer in headlights, buddy. I'm a deer in headlights. Anyways, Kenny Rogers, very infamous country singer. And also just what the O-Dog has deemed my nickname. He just keeps calling me Kenny Rogers or referring to me in the third person as the gambler. So O-Dog. He was roasting me the other day on Overdrive on uh, on Labor Day because I shot him a text message during the show. No way. I have to say something. Kenny Rogers, I know you can hear this right now. Don't ever text me on my personal phone. He just texted me and said, I'm doing updates, guy. <laughs> I love it. Good man, Kenny. He's no, in there Kenny. working. <laughs> <laughs> but he was roasting me on air, man. I was at work doing the updates, and he was saying that I got the day off, so I had to defend my honor. Not Another Leafs Podcast. New episodes Mondays on the Hockey Podcast Network. show where two Brits talk all things Boston Bruins as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. I am Oddman Rush and joining me once again is of course Chris Gadsby. Hey Chris. Hello, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. How's it going today, bud? Yes, not too bad. Uh getting this uh recorded and done before I've got to start cooking for my mum's birthday, so Oh, how exciting. Happy birthday I to know. your mum. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday to Mrs. Gadsby. <laughs> um but anyway, uh today is Sunday the twentieth of September. Uh, the Stanley Cup finals just began last night with Dallas taking a four to one win over Tampa Bay. But that's not what we're here to talk about folks. This isn't an NHL podcast. This is a Boston Bruins podcast. And to be honest, there's not a huge amount to talk about because there hasn't really been much going on in Boston's camp uh, and most of the team's camps uh, until the end of the season. We've got uh, the draft coming up on the 6th, I believe. The 6th and the 7th is the draft. The 6th being the first round, uh, the 7th being all the other rounds. And then I believe the free agency begins on October 9th this year. So it's going to be a very, very unique situation here for all the teams involved there's obviously lots of big unrestricted free agents coming up and teams wanting to um shave a lot of salary or a lot of um money off their contracts because obviously global pandemic going on they're thinking ah we might need to reduce our salary cap to make sure that we can stay financially viable we've heard many teams are are kind of shaving off 10 million dollars more than the actual salary cap itself just because they need to reduce the amount that they're spending to stay financially afloat as we carry on through this uncertain time that is the coronavirus. Um, but yeah, we've got a few things to talk about with Boston Bruins related. That would be good, wouldn't it? Um, and it's more regarding some of the other restricted and unrestricted free agents they have um, coming up this offseason in the next couple of weeks. And also some of the prospects that they've got in the system that we might see on the Boston Bruins roster this time next season or if the season does carry on this year. So 
Um, I'm going to bring up the list that the NHL website um, gave us. We've obviously talked about uh, Zdeno Chara and Tory Krug last episode. I don't really want to go into them too much this week because obviously we spent 30, 40 minutes talking specifically on those two guys last week. I feel like we covered everything we needed to with that and nothing, nothing's changed, let's be honest. So let's start with Joachim Nordstrom. We're going to go through the unrestricted free agents that the NHL highlighted for this team this year. Um, Chris, do you want to take us through some of the stats of Joachim Nordstrom if you have them available? I, I... I can, yeah, I can take you through some Perfect. of those. That's not a problem. So so kind of we can just summarise his season with the Boston Bruins and then we can have a chat about whether he should come back, whether he will come back or where he's going to go after this season. So take it away, Chris. Yeah, so he was a bit kind of an in-and-out player, really, for the Bruins. Um, so he's had two seasons there now after joining from the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, so this season didn't really do too much, must be honest. 48 games, uh, only seven points, uh, four goals, three assists uh, for those seven points. Only 17 penalty minutes as well. Um, in the playoffs, he got two assists in the 13 games. Uh, so just the two points uh, there. Um, he was minus six in the plus minus in both the playoffs and the regular season as well. Um, and he picked up two penalty minutes in the playoffs. So hasn't really kind of lit the league up at all. Um, even the season before, we only got 12 points in 70 games. Um, so not really a, a high production player for the Bruins. Yeah, very true. He's more of a bottom six more defensively sound, a guy that you can plug into that fourth line and you know you're going to get stable play. You might not get much on the board, but then again, we've seen with the, the top six and arguably the top nine of the Boston Bruins, most of the time they have no trouble handling the goal scoring effort. So uh, throw in Joachim Nordstrom in the bottom line, maybe third line at best, and he can produce some decent numbers for you. Uh, on the defensive side, it's kind of he's more of one of those like advanced stat guys, which I don't really pay too much attention to the advanced stats. I've, I've got to be honest, I'm a complete novice to all of that, and it all seems very overwhelming, just kind of looking at like the, the acronyms and the names that people throw around and the numbers. I'm like, I, I don't understand any of this. Um, but looking at kind of the raw stats that you had, yeah, he's not the most productive player. He was kind of the 13th or 14th forward on this roster. He was much easier to be a healthy scratch for Bruce Cassidy than he was in the lineup. But when a player was injured in the lineup, he could slot in and usually played a pretty good game for the Boston Bruins. Um, in terms of his thoughts for next season moving onwards, um, he supposedly, there hasn't really been many talks between Nordstrom and the Bruins during the season. Um, this article says that he'll surely earn a raise on his two-year, $2 million contract that he signed in July of 2018. So earning a million dollars a year, I mean, you can say that he will earn a raise, but given the current financial situation of the NHL, I wouldn't be surprised if he was asked to take another one-year, $1 million deal or something like that. Or may maybe even take a more of a pay cut if he really wants to go to a contender that is strapped for cash. Not just in the salary cap, but in their own franchise's limitations. Um, he hasn't really spoken to his agent since before the playoffs, so he doesn't really know what's going on in that end. I would imagine he's spoken to him a little bit more recently. Um, he says, I don't think there's been anything going on during the playoffs either. I love my teammates and our staff has been great. Boston, this is an unbelievable place to live too and, and we have great fans. So I've really enjoyed my time here. Uh, it's been, it has to be under the right terms too. So we'll see what happens here the next couple of weeks or months. So Nordstrom, he's very much saying if if Boston is still the right fit for him, if they give him the money that he feels he deserves and he can play a role on the team that he feels he's worthy of, he's more than willing to come back to Boston. However, if it doesn't work out, it's just kind of both parties. You know, it's the business side of the game. He'll move on and I'm sure he'll find a gig somewhere else in the NHL. Well, what are your thoughts, Chris? Do you think Nordstrom will come back to the roster? Do you think the Bruins will resign him or do you think he's going to move on this offseason? 
Um, it's an interesting one. I mean, from from the Bruins' point of view, um, he's only well. I mean, his contract at the minute was only a million pounds. So yeah. he's he's a useful player to have in the sense that they're not spending a lot of cap on him. Mm. Um, and he is he has been a a useful player when um when the uh, the Bruins have needed him, but it's kind of I don't really see the Bruins losing out here either way. I don't think it's any great shake if they keep him, but then if they lose him, I think he's a player that they could probably find a replacement for relatively easily. Yeah. So I, I think this is kind of very much indifferent. I don't think it really matters too much to the Bruins whether he stays or goes, to be honest. I, I think he's one of those players that if the Bruins re-sign him, he's going to have to be... Com- uh, Nordstrom is going to have to be comfortable playing the role that he played this last season, kind of as the 13th, yeah. 14th forward. If they don't re-sign him, obviously the Bruins have the opportunity to bring one of their younger prospects up to the roster and give him a chance as either the the 12th or the 13th forward, kind of healthy scratch in and out of the game. Obviously with a younger prospect, you want to get them ice time, but um, m- maybe... Maybe there's a couple of players that we're obviously going to t- talk in more detail about later on in this episode. There may be a- another player or two that they have they have in mind for that kind of bottom six role uh, in the Boston Bruins forward core. So maybe Nordstrom comes back, but like you mentioned, he's a guy that he's he's good at the role that he provides. But there's a lot of players that can pro- that can provide the same role as he does in the league. That doesn't mean that's no knock on Nordstrom's talents and abilities he is a good nhl player he's been with boston for the last two seasons he's had a pretty lengthy nhl career up until this point he's a good nhl player there's no knock on him however unfortunately for nordstrom he is quite a replaceable player in the grand scheme of creating an nhl franchise or or comprising an nhl roster so it'll be very interesting to see with him where he goes and how much he goes for as well will we see him get a two million dollar a year contract with a different team will we see him sign for another one one year one million dollar deal obviously with the current financial situation nobody knows what's going to happen with this free agency it's very much going to be the first person's going to going to sign a contract then it's going to be a domino effect after that so um, let's move on to the other unrestricted free agent I wanted to talk about, and one that's very much less likely to come back to the Boston Bruins roster, and that is defenseman Kevin Miller. Now, I think it's fair to say that injuries have been the primary reason as to why he hasn't had a really good stint with the team this last season. He's not played since April 2019 due to a serious knee injury that's required multiple surgeries and that has caused several setbacks in his in his rehab and his recovery. He's 32 years old. He's been known as kind of a, a heavy, nasty player, you know, a big physical defenseman, gets in your face, protects the net, keeps the shots, blocks shots if he needs to. But the problem is he spent, he spent his entire nine-year career with the Boston Bruins but the problem is his body just hasn't kept up with him over this last season or so. He hasn't played in over a year, which is a, a bit of a, a red light for a lot of teams, I would imagine. He's coming off a four-year, $10 million contract that he signed in 2016. He's played 322 games with the Bruins, scoring 67 points. So he's not a point-scoring defenseman. He's a good shutdown, stay-at-home defenseman, which you could argue if a healthy Kevin Miller was in the lineup this season he uh, or this playoffs, he would have been very useful against Tampa Bay. Um, but unfortunately it looks like this marriage is going to kind of come to an end and there's also the possibility that Kevin Miller's NHL career could potentially be over. So Chris, what are your thoughts on Kevin Miller? Do you think there's the chance he comes back with the Bruins on a, on a one year, $1 million contract? Do you think he will get another stint in the NHL? Obviously barring any other injuries or any other setbacks in his recovery. What are your thoughts here? 
Yeah, I mean, this this is another interesting one. Again, he's always been, as you said, a, a player who, you know, is tough and gets down and blocks the shots, but he hasn't really lit the league up at the other end. He's not, you know, a point scorer. Yeah. Um, doesn't get many goals. He can pass the puck around all right enough, but the best the best season he ever had was 18 points. Mm. Um, and he's very rarely, I mean, in the... Was six seasons he's been on the Bruins roster. He's done what forty-seven games, forty-one, seventy-one, fifty-eight, sixty-eight, and thirty-nine. So he's never been in the roster all the time, really. Yeah. Um. So and he's thirty-two years old now. So he's starting to get towards the end of kind of a peak, or or mm. you know, really starting to tail off. Yeah. So. With him having not played for a year, I mean, if I was the Bruins, I would rather, I think, he went because they're not getting anything from him. So, And because they don't know how much they're going to get from him, they're not going to want to put a lot of money into it. Yeah. So I suppose if they can get him on something like a, like a one-year, one million, as you said, then maybe however i don't think i mean they're going to know obviously his his rehab and his his uh, health situation a lot better than we are but i just don't think that boston are going to want to initiate this because i don't see what benefit they're going to get from it yeah and i'm glad that you brought up kind of the level of his health and kind of how far he is through his rehab because you're absolutely correct they know far more than we do about it but also they know far more than any other team in the nhl do about Kevin Miller's recovery, which kind of makes me feel like if he's going to return to the NHL, it probably is likely to be with the Boston Bruins as opposed to any other team in the league because the the, the Bruins have obviously kept track of his rehab the entire way through. He's been contracted to the team the entire way through. And um, Don Sweeney says, for example, uh, the team has optimism that Kevin will do everything possible to be healthy in order to play. He has the desire to continue to play, and he obviously had that very painful injury. It's taken a lot longer than anybody had hoped or that Kevin had hoped to heal from, but he's worked incredibly hard, and I know he'll continue to do that and give himself the opportunity to play in the NHL again. But the interesting point out of this, I haven't explored whether that's with us until this point. So now, it's only sort of now that they're thinking, okay, do we want to bring a guy like Kevin Miller back to the team? Now, I feel like there's a there's a win-win for Boston in this regard. If they do sign him and he plays well, then brilliant. He's back to the old Kevin Miller and everybody's happy. If they bring him back and he doesn't play so well, they could probably either put him in the minors or put him back on injury reserve because he might might not necessarily be completely ready to come back when he says he is. You know what hockey players are like. They always try to battle through the injuries, whether it's the smart thing to do or not, because they just want to help the team win. Um, and if they don't sign him, they get a bit of cap relief, which obviously in these financial times or these struggles financially at the moment, that could be the difference between signing Tory Krug or Jake DeBrusque or signing another free agent on the market and not signing them. Uh, so... So I, I feel like whichever way the Bruins go about doing this, they could get something decent in return. They either get cap relief, they get a depth defenseman that could either be the sort of eighth, ninth defenseman on the Bruins roster, come in as kind of injury coverage if a guy goes down, or he can be a good role model for the Providence Bruins down in the minors, or he comes back and and he manages to find a way to fully recover. Maybe he's not necessarily the player that he was before, but he's almost the same player and he's that big physical guy i don't think he's going to be the sort to shy away from any contact uh, given his reputation in the league regardless of the injury or not so those are the two kind of big 
unrestricted free agents that could well walk at the end of the season. The guys that the Boston Bruins have a little bit more control over. Oh, I should also mention um, there are three other unrestricted free agents that the Boston Bruins have, but they're much kind of lower names down the list. Uh, you've got Ryan Fitzgerald, the forward for Providence. He's a group six free agent. Alex Petrovic, who played for Providence, the defenseman, and Max Legace, the uh, goaltender for Providence. So a couple of guys in their depth system that they could bring back, but they're not guys that are going to be demanding a huge contract. They're not necessarily guys that are NHL ready or still NHL caliber at this point. So they would be kind of two-way deals, one year, $925,000 contract kind of things. Um, but let's talk about the restricted free agents. Let's go into the biggest one of the list for the Boston Bruins. And that is, of course, Jake DeBrusque. Uh, 23 year old forward. He was also obviously drafted slap bang in the middle of the three consecutive draft picks that the Boston Bruins made um, during the 2015 draft, I want to say. It was a uh, 14th, 15th, or 16th. I have something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, but he's been a staple of the Boston Bruins second line alongside David Krejci for the majority of his three seasons in the NHL. Um, he's become one of the Bruins' top goal scorers, notching 62 goals in 203 games, including a career-high 27 goals in the 18-19 season, which ranks him fourth on the team during that span, but only behind the top three guys on the list, David Pasternak, Brad Marchand, and Patrice Bergeron, obviously the deadly first line that the Boston Bruins have. So, other than the Boston Bruins' top line, Jake DeBrusque is your next highest goal scorer. And he's been a decent playoff performer as well. 23 points in 49 playoff games. Obviously went to the finals with the Bruins last year. Chris, how do you see this one going? Because obviously, there's going to be a lot of talk about this contract. Because the good thing is, the Boston Bruins have the negotiating position. He's going to be demanding a decent-sized contract. And I think given the uncertainty at the moment, he's going to want kind of more of a long-term deal with guaranteed money coming his way as opposed to a bridge deal whereas the Boston Bruins are probably going to want to give him a bridge deal they can go to arbitration they can figure things out he obviously didn't have the best season production wise this year so that could work in Boston's favor if they go to arbitration they might be able to kind of put him down two three-year contracts slightly lower than what DeBrusque was wanting maybe by a million dollars or so which could help them with the salary cap constraints they have where do you see this going, Chris? Do you see Jake DeBrusque coming back to this team? Obviously, the big talk has been, will the Boston Bruins re-sign Jake DeBrusque, or will they sign Tory Krug? Will they sign both, or will neither of them sign with the team? Do Boston want both of them back, or do both of them want to leave the team? Like, Where do you see this going over the next few weeks and months, Chris? I mean, if you're going to try and sign both of them, that's most of your cap space gone, I mm. think. Um, when you look at kind of Krugs, they've got just under 14 and a half million to go. Uh, when you look at the fact that Krug has been on five and a quarter, so then you're down to, uh, well, let's call it nine, because it's near as makes no difference, nine. Jake DeBrusque, I mean, what the, the big question there is kind of what is Jake DeBrusque going to be going for and what's going to be realistic? I mean, as you said, he was the fourth highest scorer behind the top line. Um, but he is still really young. In his Boston career, he's had 120 points in his 203 games, so he's more than a point every other game, but he hasn't had the best of um, seasons. I mean, it's not realistic for him to say, right, I want six million alongside the, the top three guys, I don't think, but you're going to be talking maybe kind of around four, four and a bit. So it doesn't really leave you much... For the rest of the um, for the rest of the squad. Um, that being said, if I think if you've got to 
have a bit of a toss-up between keeping DeBrusque and keeping Krug. I think that, f- from my point of view personally, I would favour having Krug as the solid defenceman over DeBrusque and the points, because the second line just hasn't really been gelling this year. And I think you could... Yes, okay, he's a restricted free agent, so it gives Boston a bit more of a of a, of a a playing room with it um, because obviously they, they can react. But it's whether he goes in and says, no, I am worth this much, and it's if Boston are willing to pay it. I mean, if he comes in and says, no, I want six million, they're probably not going to do it, in my opinion, whereas then he may well find another side that that will pay him that well yeah i'm i mean i'm not sure if a team will pay him that much money i mean there might be obviously one of these rebuilding teams might think you know what you want the financial security we've got tons of cap space here take a five-year six million dollar a year contract we want you to be like our go-to guy but it's interesting you mentioned how the second line didn't quite click this year production wise and that's one thing that um, in this NHL article, um, when they interviewed Jake DeBrusque, uh, uh, his his consistency is is something that he's obviously very mindful of and needing to be more consistent with his production. He had uh, 19 goals, 35 points this season in 65 games, so almost a 20 goal scorer again. So you know, with a guy like Jake DeBrusque in a re- in a normal 82 game season, he would have scored 20, 25 goals by the end of the year. I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. If he got hot by the end of the year, maybe even 30. But I- I'd say 25 goals is kind of like a a round out number. That's not too bad for a guy that's 23 years old coming off the final year of his entry-level contract. And I think that's going to give him a bit of bargaining room, being like, look, how many players score 20 goals a season in the NHL? I've done it pretty much every single year since I've been here. Give me my money, you know? I feel like the ideal scenario for the Boston Bruins here is to go, right, we're going to give you a two-year bridge deal contract at, say, three and a half, maybe even $4 million a year, By the time he's finished that, he'll be 25 years old. If he takes that next step in his game, then, of course, if they have the cap space, he can sign a a more of a career contract with them, six, seven, maybe even eight years, however much money, much higher than the bridge deal. People seem to forget that a lot of superstar players have signed bridge deals, like... We've got guys like uh, P.K. Subban, I believe, signed a bridge deal. You've got Jonathan Taze, Patrick Kane. They all signed bridge deals before their massive 10-year contracts. We've obviously seen the Toronto Maple Leafs recently just kind of throwing five- and six-year deals at their star guys straight after their entry-level contract. It doesn't always have to go that way. And I think a team like the Boston Bruins, who has that good foundation and knows how to negotiate with their players to give them what they think they are fairly owed, but also keep their team in a good position and a bit more flexibility with the salary cap and the the budget and everything I think a bridge deal would benefit both sides here because if if DeBrusque for example locked into a five six year contract with you know five six million dollars a year sure he's going to make 30 million dollars roughly by the end of that contract I don't think he'll complain too much with 30 million dollars but if he signs the bridge deal and he becomes a more consistent player, comes more of a, a point every or like a, a 50, 60 point scorer in a season, maybe even a point per game guy. Maybe he gets to uh, go up on the first line for a little while um, as Marchand gets a little bit older and maybe they try to brusque with Pasternak and Bergeron. That's only a hypothetical situation. He might become a point per game player. He can then in two years go, right, I want $8 million a year. 
first six, seven, maybe even eight years with the Boston Bruins, he's going to make a lot more money that way. So it's kind of like, do you risk your short-term uh, success so you can have a huge payday in the long run? Or do you take the money while you get the chance to take it and then see how things go from there? It's obviously going to be a, a very unique scenario. Very interesting for Jake DeBrusque. Obviously, the fact that he's a restricted free agent, he can't just go, right, I want to go sign with that team. Bye, Boston. Thanks for the help. Um, if a team tries to offer sheet him, which could be in the cards potentially, um, there could be a chance for an offer sheet here from another team. Will Do I think that DeBrusque is going to be the kind of guy that's offer sheeted out of everybody available? I'm not 100% sure, but a team could come along and be like, look, we'll give you the money that you want. And then Boston either have to match it or he gets to go to the team and they get some draft picks back, which given the fact that they don't have their first overall this year, that or their, their first round pick, I should say, that might help them in the long run. So Chris, having looked at this, do you think that DeBrusque is going to stay with Boston by the end of, or by next season? Do you think we're going to still see him in the black and gold of Boston? Or do you think they may trade his rights? He may get moved on i think it makes more sense that he stays with the team like he says he just needs to become a little bit more consistent with his game he's only 23 years old so he still hasn't hit his, the prime of his career he's still got a long way to go and I, I still think there's a lot of untapped potential here with jake DeBrusque. what do you think i think you're right i think from a boston point of view a, a, a bridge deal makes makes the most sense and i think if i was DeBrusque, i would perhaps look to stay in boston as well because the the players he gets to play with they are so good that they make him better as well yeah um yes okay this season he didn't have the season that he had last but he was on course for his best season really yeah he was only 8 points shy of his best ever season with what should have been about 7 well with what about 9 games to go wasn't it so he could easily have got his best season ever well, I, I mean, um, he played uh, 65 games, so he had another, 65 games, he had yeah. another uh, 17 games to play this season. Well no, well, no, because he didn't play every game, did he? There was only about nine games left when he oh, got okay. suspended. Okay, fair point, fair point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, I, th I think staying at Boston might make sense. I think do will other teams try? I think they will if he doesn't sign with Boston straight away. Yeah. I think other teams will try, and then obviously Boston get the opportunity to to match it. Um, but I think staying in Boston would make sense. They just need to find a right amount of of salary so that Boston don't end up limiting themselves in other areas if they try and sign Krug at the same time. Yeah, obviously the on ice play has done the talking up until this point. Now it's time for the agents and the business side of the game to kind of take the lead and kind of see where the money's going to land and for how long. So I would imagine we're going to see DeBrusque remaining in a Boston Bruins jersey for next season. It's just a case of for how long on his contract and for how much money on that contract. So I guess we'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, another uh, restrictor free agent. We've got two more big restrictor free agents to talk about before we finish up. Uh, Matt Grizzlick, the defenseman, uh, six foot, uh, five foot nine, I should say, 174 pounds. Uh, he's become a very, very reliable defenseman for the Boston Bruins over the last couple of years. He produced a career-high 21 points and four goals in 68 games this year, um, which was a career-high in both stats. Uh, he's 26 years old. He's at the end of his second pro contract in the NHL, which was a two-year, $2.8 million deal that he signed in 2018. So average annual value, $1.4 million a year. I think if he's going to stay with Boston, he's going to get a pay rise. Absolutely. He's pretty much slap-bang, 
starting the, the prime of his career. He's got another sort of three or four years left to go of the prime of his career. Yes, he's not the most productive guy on the roster, but he is a very reliable defenseman on that back end. He's a good top four guy for the, for the roster and an even better top six guy if that's the role that they decide he needs to play. And he's been a big proponent of the Boston Bruins. Obviously, we've talked about Rask and um, Halak being solid netminders. The defense in front of them have also helped get them into a position where they've allowed the least amount of goals since Bruce Cassidy took over the head coaching job. And a big part of that is guys like Chara and Grizzlick and, um, and uh, yeah, Chara and Grizzlick pr primarily, and some of the other defensemen, obviously, stepping up and playing the role that they need to. So um, in terms of being a restricted free agent, Grizzlick says, I haven't had many talks at all. I think we thought it was best to kind of not give that much light during the season and not have that be a distraction. I wanted to put that off until now, which is very fair. Obviously, don't want to speculate too much on what else is going on with other guys, but I'm sure the team has quite a lot to work out. I'm going to let that process happen organically. I love the fact that he's kind of not comparing himself to the other players on the roster. He's kind of like, look, my talents have showcased themselves. I'm a reliable blue liner. I'm, I, I've put up career high points this year. Sure, I've only scored 20 points this year, 21 points to be exact, but that's still decent production from a top four or even top six guy. I, I feel like I, 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 I think he feels like he's earned a decent contract with the Bruins or elsewhere in the league. He's a restricted free agent. So once again, the Bruins have the negotiating power here. They, they have the position of being able to retain him. They can offer sheet him. They can um, uh, qualify him as an RFA on kind of the, the minimum salary and then try and work out a contract from there. But I, I think Grizzlick is going to stay with the Bruins this year, Chris, and maybe for several more years to come. And I think he's going to get a pretty noticeable pay rise. I would not be surprised if he earned two to three million dollars a year on his next contract. What do you think? Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. I think I think he's going to stay at Boston. I think given his points production um, and his role on the team, he'd be looking at kind of two and a half, two and three quarter uh, million dollars for for his salary. That would take him. Just below, but pretty much level with Brandon Carlo, and he outscored Carlo this season. Okay. Um, so I would say that because Carlo's on two eight fifty, but uh, Grizzit got a point more. Mm. So around kind of you know two and a half, two and three quarter, three million somewhere in that ballpark, which would be uh, a good obviously paycheck for him, and it's not going to really hurt Boston too much. So I think that that could well be the way that they go. As you said, give him a pay rise, keep him in Boston for a couple more years at least. I think also given the fact that I'm just reading further down this NHL article, it's important to mention that Matt Grizzlick is the only regular member of the roster that's a left-hand shot defenseman that's still technically under team control heading into next season. Because obviously Chara and Krug, both going into unrestricted free agency potentially, Grizzlick is the only guy that they know that they have and can qualify him as an RFA and sign him to a contract with arbitration and everything like that. They know that he's pretty much the only guy out of the three of them that can be pretty much guaranteed to come back next year. So that could also mean that Grizzlick gets a bit more responsibility and maybe gets a, a bigger role to shine on this team and maybe becomes a more productive player in the blue line. Maybe, maybe he earns a bit of a higher role on the team because obviously he's been playing more in the bottom six over the last couple of years. Maybe he gets that top four role because Chara doesn't resign or he re decides to retire or Krug moves on in unrestricted free agency. So I, I feel like this is a really good chance for Matt Grizzlick to go, look, this is the type of player I'm I am. I'm right slap bang in the prime of my career. I'm just starting out. I'm breaking out as a legitimate top four defenseman in the NHL. Now, 
in the next few years, give me some money, you know? Because I, I, I feel like he's earned it. He's been a good guy for the Boston Bruins over the last few years. Kind of one of those un unsung heroes. He might not be on the stat sheet that often, but he does a lot of things that help the Bruins win and be such a successful team. And then the final kind of uh, guy to look at on the restricted free agency, the, the last one to be highlighted out of all of them available. I'll take you through the other ones after this. Um, Carson Kuhlman. Um, a guy that we talked about quite a lot during the season. 24-year-old forward, he saw limited time with the Boston Bruins over the past two seasons. But when he's been in the lineup, he's been known to kind of bring a lot of energy and a lot of speed and a lot of intensity to that bottom six role that he's had on the Boston Bruins. Um, he played 25 games during the 1920 season with the Bruins and scored a goal and five assists. He had a really good start with the uh, the Boston Bruins after being called up from Providence. I remember me raving about him, how he had like three points in his first two games or something. Like He had a really good start. Um, he notched three goals and five points in 11 games in the 18-19 season. So he kind of didn't keep up that production from his first experience of the NHL, but he still put up numbers. So you can't really complain with that. Um, he also played 13 playoff games over the last two seasons and potted a single goal um, after being inserted into the lineup for game six of the 2019 Stanley Cup final. So talk about your first playoff game being game six of the Stanley Cup final. That's not a bad way to start off your career. Um, he said, uh, so Coleman says, uh, he really trusts his agent a lot and, uh, he's sure that management and his agent will kind of work everything out and he's hoping for the best. He's coming off a two year, $1.5 million entry level deal. But at the end of the day, the only thing I can really control is how I'm getting better and how I'm helping the team win. So I can't really move past that too far. So, um, uh, the winger who has seen time with every line at some point over the past two seasons, which is really interesting, actually. 24-year-old, and he's been given an opportunity to play on basically every single line. Um, uh, he believes that he can secure a permanent spot on the roster by finding a bit more finish and consistency in his offensive game. Obviously, moving up from Boston and Providence, bouncing between the two year in, year out, doesn't really afford you the chance to be consistent on either end of uh, in either league because you're, you're constantly adjusting to different levels of competition and different players, and you're going into different locker rooms basically week in, week out. But hopefully he can secure himself a more solid position on the Bruins roster. I, I think with some of these other UFAs and other guys moving out of the organization, he might get that chance to. Um, but yeah, Chris, what do you think about Carson Coleman? Do you think he's going to get a a kind of two, three-year contract for a couple million, maybe 1.5, 2 million? I think he's earned himself a raise, but not by a huge amount, because once again, kind of similar to DeBrus, but in a different context, a lot of untapped potential still there. Yeah, and I think as you've said, um, he he kind of has a bottom six role very much. I mean, he's still twenty four, so he's still got you know a good ten year ahead of him. Yeah. Um, but you know he's not a massive points guy. But then again, he doesn't get the chance to play either. Mm. Um, so I think he's one that, you know, Boston. He's already kind of proven what he's capable of doing. He almost just kind of needs that chance. Yeah. Um. So I think that he's one that they could. Uh, well keep around um and i mean what was he on three quarters of a million so he's yeah maybe a, maybe a little bit of a rise but probably not much but i think he's one of those players who he has earned the kind of role i suppose is is the right word of if a player goes down Coleman's the one we bring up he's kind of yeah. the first what like the first one or two port of call from Providence to, to, to go up. So I think that he, he's kind of earned that. And if he keeps pushing and if things go right or, or potentially wrong for, for Boston in terms of Krug or Chara or somebody and, and they need a spot to, to fill, then he might have a, 
a bit of an opportunity next season. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think he's the kind of guy that give him a more consistent a job in the NHL and I think we'll see some positive results from a guy like uh, Carson Coleman. Like the article said, like we've said throughout the season, he just brings that kind of energy to the to the lineup and to that bottom six that I feel like they might be lacking at certain points in the season. So yeah, I, I think this could be a really really good uh, move. He's obviously not going to he's not he's not going to break the bank for the Boston Bruins. The good thing no. is a lot of the guys, barring Krug and Jake DeBrusque, a lot of these guys you can get on sort of those those small cheap deals, which obviously like I've mentioned about a million times this episode, the current financial situation in the NHL, that's not going to be a bad thing. They could set themselves up to have a noticeable amount of salary cap space in the next couple of years. Obviously, that does mean that if three of these guys break out and have fantastic seasons, become 15, 20 goal scorers, 50 point scorers, it might mean some salary cap problems or uh, an, in an inability to kind of keep all of this roster together in, th in the next couple of years. But that's the job of a general manager. Things are changing all the time. And you've got to be ready to adapt to the times, don't you? So um, some of the other RFAs, just to finish off this kind of section of the podcast, or pretty much the majority of the podcast, um, Brendan Gaunts um, from Providence, uh, Brett Ritchie, who obviously bounced up and down on uh, the roster this year, Zach Senshin, uh, Willie Sherman or Wiley Sherman, and Jacob Zaborel, all pretty much being tagged as being played with Providence. They're all restricted free agents this year. I would expect some of them to come back. I'd expect some of them not to come back. I think also, given the current situation, there's going to be a lot of restricted free agents that would normally be qualified that may not be this year because teams are trying to find a way to, to shave off as much money on their salary cap as they can. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see. We've got a couple of weeks until um, the uh, off-season starts. And with people like restricted free agents... It, it takes months after the off-season has begun before we hear anything important about them. So keep an eye out on Boston Bruins news. Keep an eye out on all of their Twitter and everything like that. You can, if you want to, go down the rabbit hole of reading Boston Bruins trade rumours and things like that. It's that time of year in the off-season. You know, trade rumours are rampant. They're getting all the clicks and all of the, the views at the moment. So keep an eye out for all of that, I guess. Um, just to quickly round off, I just want to take you through a list that the um, Stanley Cup of Chowder website, which is the kind of the Boston Bruins affiliate of SB Nation, um, they did a, an article on the top 10 Bruins prospects as of June 30th, 2020. So basically, um, this uh, most recent play-in round and everything like that. Um, at number 10, they have Jack Studnicker. At number two, they have Trent Frederick. Number three, Urho Vakakainen. Number four, Dan Vladar, the goaltender, obviously got lit up against Tampa in that one game. Uh, number five, Jeremy Swayman, the goaltender. At uh, number six, Oscar Steen, the forward. Number seven, Jakub Loko. At uh, number eight, Jakub Zaborel. Number nine, Zach Senshin. Obviously, Zaborel and Senshin we've mentioned, restricted free agents this year. And number 10, Jack Akin. Akin? I, Akin, I think. There's a lot of defenseman prospects towards the bottom half and a lot of forward prospects into the top half so keep an eye out for a lot of those guys we can obviously go into them in a little bit more detail um next episode but uh chris is there anything else you want to add about this episode do you think there's um any kind of players on this list that we've talked about that might surprise us they might move to a different team they might get a bigger contract that we're expecting or do you think we've still got plenty of time to you know let everything be processed, let the general manager figure everything out and kind of see where to go from there. I think there's time. Um, it is certainly possible with, with the space to get all the players back. Mm. Um, I think because we can pick you know, Nordstrom, um, Kevin Miller, if he 
comes back, but that's more doubtful. Because we can pick so many players up for kind of one, two million, um, it would still leave kind of nine and a half million to try and get DeBrusque and Krug. And I think if you get DeBrusque on a bridge deal, as we've talked about, you then have the space available for Krug. But we'll have to see what happens. I mean, they might get even more if, if Chara decides enough is enough, if Miller decides that he's not going to play on. Obviously, it freezes up and, and gives Boston extra... Uh, wiggle room so to speak but it's certainly doable and it'll be interesting to see over the coming uh, weeks what the management team do i completely agree and i think don sweeney's got a pretty big job ahead of him to try and retain the right guys to let the right guys go maybe there might be a trade or two with involving prospects maybe some roster players obviously freeing up that david backers contract helped a lot with uh, freeing up the cap space to pursue some of these other guys and maybe other guys on the market if some guys don't return it's going to be very interesting to see what Don Sweeney does over the next weeks and months as we move into the offseason. But one thing's for sure, I think it will be very exciting to see what happens with the Boston Bruins. And yeah, see... can, you, can you imagine if we hadn't got rid of Bacchus and we had less than 10 million to try and do all this with? Oh, goodness. Thank you, Anaheim. <laughs> like, we gave you our first round pick. You're welcome. Take it. You need it more than we do right now. Take the $6 million. Thank you very much, guys. Um, but anyway, on that note, I think this is a really good place to end this episode of Brits on Bruins. Now, I think it's really important to mention here, just as we finish this up, um, this episode of the of Brits on Bruins is actually the penultimate episode that Chris and I are recording for Brits on Bruins as Boston Bruins coverage on the Hockey Podcast Network. Um, we've been talking to the guys that run the network and we are moving solely to our Europuck podcast moving forwards after next week. So, Kind of official announcement from us. Next week will be our final episode of Brits on Bruins. Uh, we've got a very, very capable um, host for the Boston Bruins on the network coming up and taking the reins in the next couple of weeks, over the next fortnight or so. Uh, we're hopefully going to have a chance to chat to her next episode. Obviously, us being in England and her being in North America, it might not sync up with the times. That's our plan for our, our, our kind of last episode with Brits on Bruins to kind of have a little chat to the new host. So you guys get the chance to to meet her and kind of get an idea of her experience with the Boston Bruins and where she's coming from. And then from there, she's going to take the Boston Bruins coverage for you going into the off season and next season. And Chris and I are going to still be here on the Europuck podcast. So do make sure if you want to catch more of Chris and I moving forwards into next season, do go and check out the Europuck podcast. It's on the Hockey Podcast Network. We talk about all things European hockey. We're about a month into it now and we're having a blast. All of the European leagues are now starting to, to get started and we're, we've got plenty to talk about over the next few weeks and months because obviously the NHL is going on a bit of a hiatus for the next kind of few months, whereas European hockey just getting started so come and hang out with us there we are on youtube we're on uh or anywhere else um is available on the network but primarily youtube we're doing a lot of exclusive bonus clips there also so there's plenty of content for you guys to watch and hopefully enjoy but yeah uh thanks for watching the show guys we hope you've enjoyed uh we're obviously going to do more of our like proper goodbyes next episode i think that's fair we'll do a bit of like a summary it's like oh this is the time that we've had with the brits on bruins let's reminisce you know like all of those like cable shows used to do where it's like at the end of the season they'd kind of look back and be like oh wasn't that fun um so if you want to keep updated on all things brits on bruins for the next week or so or send us your thoughts opinions or questions either from today's show or for our final show next week you can follow us on twitter at brits on bruins and if you enjoyed listening to either or both of your hosts today which of course you did we have lovely accents then you can follow myself on twitter at oddman or chris at chris underscore gadsby thanks again for listening guys and we'll see you again next time have a good one folks